Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The man accused of opening fire this past Sunday at a church in Laguna Woods in Orange County, killing one man and wounding five others, is facing one count of murder along with several other charges. The murder charge against David Chow also comes with the special circumstance of using a gun and lying in wait. The lying in wait with the personal use of a firearm makes this case alone, without more, Life without the possibility of parole, assuming we can prove all the charges and that the jury finds that the enhancements are true or death. That's Orange County District Attorney Todd Spitzer speaking at a news conference yesterday. Spitzer says prosecutors are still working with the FBI to determine if there's enough evidence to file hate crime charges in the case. Early reports described the suspect in Sunday's shooting as a Chinese immigrant, but KPCC's Josie Wong says that Taiwanese records show the suspect is actually from the island nation. Suspected gunman David Zhou was himself born in Taiwan and worked and lived there as an adult. That's according to the island's top official in L.A. Louis Huang, who heads the Taipei Economic and Cultural Office, which acts as a consulate, says Zhou submitted identification records to renew his Taiwanese passport. He kept the passport current even after he moved to the U.S. and became an American citizen. It's official record. It's what's on the paper. The church shooting has been framed as a potential hate crime involving a Chinese immigrant politically motivated to attack Taiwanese people. Taiwanese records point to a more complicated truth. In Taiwan, opinion is divided over China, which insists the self-ruled island belongs to the mainland. A recent survey showed most Taiwanese want to maintain the status quo, but a tiny minority is in favor of reunification. According to law enforcement officials, Zhou indicated he was not well-treated in Taiwan, and he identifies with China. For the California Report, I'm Josie Huang in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, friends and family are mourning the death of Dr. John Chang, who was fatally shot at the Taiwanese church banquet. KPCC's Robert Garova has that part of the story. Brandon Jones of Tyler, Texas, remembers drawing Batman comics with his friend John back when they were in elementary school together. We met in fourth grade. We, we were best friends until the day he died. Chang was an accomplished medical doctor who practiced in Orange County, but he also had a great love of martial arts. A friend of his says he was a grand master level in traditional martial arts and practiced kung fu. For Jones, it was no surprise to hear sheriff's officials say that Chang had charged the gunman in that banquet hall, sacrificing his life for several others. I can see John saying, I've got to stop this guy. John never wavered. Anybody that knows him will say he never wavered. In an email, a medical colleague of Dr. Chang described him as a natural protector and healer. His heroism saved so many people, not only at that church, but throughout his career, she wrote. 
For the California Report, I'm Robert Garova in Los Angeles. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Let's turn to energy and its high cost. The average price for a gallon of gasoline in California hit a new record Tuesday. KQED's Nina Thorson has more. According to AAA, that statewide average is now $6.02 a gallon. It's highest in Humboldt County, six thirty-nine. The cheapest fill-up is in Tuolumne County, where it's just five seventy-one. L.A. checks in at six oh six, San Jose at six twelve, and San Francisco at six twenty-four. The national average gas price is also at a record high, $4.48 a gallon, rising more than 27% since Russia invaded Ukraine. Governor Gavin Newsom's proposed budget includes a $400 refund for car owners to help make up for the jump in fuel prices. But that's not a done deal. Republicans in Sacramento, where the average price is $601, are pushing for a repeal of the state gas tax. And many Democratic legislators would like to see checks going to lower-income Californians, whether they own a car or not. For the California Report, I'm Nina Thorson. New unions at Starbucks are rapidly forming across California, with workers voting to unionize the first four locations in just the past week. KQED's Juan Carlos Lada reports on this growing wave of organized labor. Employees at more than 20 Starbucks locations here in California have petitioned for a chance to unionize since the start of the year. Josie Serrano is an organizer for Starbucks Workers United and helped lead the efforts at a Starbucks in Long Beach where they work. Serrano said they and their co-workers were spurred by the success of Starbucks workers in Buffalo, New York last year, who founded the new national union. I really do think that this move is only going to grow when more partners can see that we're all working together and we're only growing and growing. And all of these union elections, we're winning on such a big majority now that we're unstoppable. Many of the workers who have joined Starbucks unions are not anti-Starbucks. They're pro-union. That's UC labor expert Harley Shaken. They want to have a voice. They're seeing very demanding working conditions, uncertainty with the pandemic still with us, and just a desire to have a say in what they do. 
Shaken says the four unionized locations are clearly the start of a trend, but workers still face a major hurdle ahead of them. What's critical is that first contract. And many employers who have fought hard against unions, when they lose a vote to the union, often sabotage that first contract. A Starbucks spokesperson said in a statement that they are listening and learning, but believe they work best with employees without a union in the middle. For the California Report, I'm Juan Carlos Lara in San Francisco. California voters could decide whether to raise the state's minimum wage again after proponents of the idea say they've gathered over one million signatures to qualify it for the November ballot. Those signatures still need to be verified before the measure is put on the ballot. Under the proposed initiative, the state's minimum wage would rise to $18 over the next three years. Joe Sandberg is a Los Angeles investor who's backing the effort. It's common sense that we have to raise people's wages so they can afford life basic needs. And it's common sense that if anyone works, they should be able to afford life's basic needs. That's not the case in California right now. The minimum wage is already set to go up by 50 cents to 15.50 an hour at the start of next year. That's after rising inflation triggered an automatic pay increase. In this third year of the California drought, state leaders touted investments in water recycling this week while visiting a facility in Southern California. KQED's Vanessa Rancaño reports. By early June, the entire state will be under either a local or state mandate to conserve water. But State Senator Steve Bradford warned that's not enough. We need to promote not only conservation, but innovative technology such as this recycling plant and desalinization efforts throughout California. Governor Gavin Newsom called the water recycling plant in Carson one of the most promising technologies for ensuring water security. Water recycling is about finding new water, not just accepting the scarcity mindset, being more resourceful in terms of our approach. Last year's state budget put $5.2 billion towards drought-proofing the state. This year, Newsom is proposing another $2 billion. For the California Report, I'm Vanessa Rancaño. Let's turn to sports. Chase Center in San Francisco takes center stage tonight as the Golden State Warriors take on the Dallas Mavericks in Game 1 of the NBA Western Conference Finals. Tip-off is set for 6 p.m. Here is Warriors star guard Steph Curry. It's a tough matchup. We obviously know we had to be prepared on both ends. You know, our game plan, understanding that things will change as the series goes on once we get a, a better feel for what they're like in a playoff, you know, series game after game. But you know, in the Western Conference Finals, figure it out. Try to protect home court like we've done. Curry says after a couple of injury-plagued years for the Warriors, it's nice to be contending again. We're hungry enough knowing we haven't been on the radar for the last two years in terms of being realistic championship contenders. And now we're knocking on the doorstep of getting back to the finals. Warriors head coach Steve Kerr will be back on the bench tonight after missing the last three games following a positive COVID-19 test. We're going to turn now to a type of firearm that's of growing concern in California. We start in San Diego and the deadly incident that happened in April of last year. Here's coverage from ABC affiliate KGTV. We want to take you back to the breaking news from overnight. Deadly shooting spree in the gas lamp quarter. A gunman going block by block downtown, opening fire on bystanders. A suspect is in custody this morning. One he person was killed and four wounded in that mass shooting. 
The suspect, Travis Areshte, who will soon stand trial, is accused of using a home-assembled firearm without a serial number in his rampage. It's called a ghost gun. Despite the state's tough firearm laws, ghost guns have become increasingly linked to crime in California, say law enforcement officials. Over half of our uh, investigations involve a ghost gun in some manner. That's Stephen Galloway, assistant special agent in charge of the L.A. field office of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Galloway explained to the California Report just why ghost guns used in crimes are so difficult to investigate versus factory-made guns. So a standard firearm that goes to a, a manufacturer such as Glock or Smith & Wesson will have a serial number and markings that allow us to identify the history of that firearm. When I say history, we can go back to when that firearm was manufactured, when it went to the licensed dealer, and then when it was ultimately sold to the first purchaser. That provides us with a crucial piece of evidence, especially when we're talking about a homicide. With a ghost gun, we don't have that, right? And absent that serial number, uh, we would have nowhere to start. And along with being difficult to trace, ghost gun components, which are sold legally most places in the U.S., are pretty easy to assemble into fully functioning weapons. Just go to YouTube and you'll find plenty of step-by-step DIY tutorials. Grab a little flathead, hold up the spring, stick the, the mag release in there, and they'll click in. Simple. Look at that, fellas. And when it comes to ghost guns that are seized by California law enforcement, one manufacturer comes up again and again, Nevada-based Polymer 80 or Poly 80. Assembled Poly 80 guns have been used in such incidents as the shooting and wounding of two L.A. County Sheriff deputies in Compton in September of 2020. Those deputies are suing the company for negligence and marketing the firearms in California. The LAPD says that almost 90% of the ghost guns it sees are made from kits containing poly-80 components. The ATF Stephen Galloway says a kind of mystique has grown up around the company's products in the California gun world, including among suspects apprehended for murders and other crimes. Often, even uh, when when we discuss with individuals who are found with the ghost guns, you hear the term poly-80. A lot of times the, the firearm is referred to as a poly-80 ghost gun. Thank you for calling Polymer 80. If you know the extension of the person you wish to speak to, please dial it now. We reached out to Polymer 80 multiple times for an interview, but received no response. Meanwhile, federal, state, and local governments are trying to tackle the proliferation of ghost guns from Polymer 80 and other manufacturers. President Biden has unveiled proposals to require people buying ghost gun components to pass a background check and require that the weapons come with traceable serial numbers. California's Attorney General Rob Bonta has joined a lawsuit filed by California cities against ghost gun manufacturers. Meanwhile, last week, San Jose became the latest California city to ban the possession and sale of ghost guns. It joined San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles, and San Diego, which passed its ban in the wake of that downtown mass shooting last year. Marnie Van Wilpert is a San Diego City Council member who authored the ghost gun ban. The goal of this ordinance is to do is to prohibit these unserialized parts from even entering the city of San Diego at all. 
Earlier this month, San Diego marked the first conviction of a person in violation of the city's ghost gun ban. Meanwhile, gun rights activists say such prohibitions on home-assembled weapons will be ineffective. They argue if people really want to make a ghost gun, they'll find a way, no matter what the restrictions. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, May 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. The California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org health equity. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food on the web at theschmidt.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.